Mayo, how are you feeling? Are you caught up on your sleep? Are you feeling rested <laughs> after your late night Monday festivities? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't terrible because the, the clocks changed in our favor. So rather than being 1 a.m., it was only midnight. Uh, and the event was only 30 minutes long. So, you know, it was 30 was, minutes on the, the dot. Yeah, um, yeah, almost exactly. Uh, if it had been an hour, hour and a half event, then uh, <laughs> it would have been more of a. Like, but it was like, you know, 12 midnight, you know, it's all right. Half past midnight's okay. Once you get around to one, then I was starting to get like tired. So that's when I kind of logged off or whatever. But, um, look, it's a fun thing. I hope, I hope this isn't the new default time. Uh, but it was a fun little one off situation. It was different. It was, I don't think we ever really got a clear answer on why they did it other than the fact that it was fun. I was expecting it to at least be like more laid back or something, but it really Tim sh- Tim's uh, shirt was unbuttoned, which I think was a new thing for the after hours. <laughs> but other than that, I think it was just a normal event, just at night, which was, it was cool. It was weird. They dressed it up well. They had you know CGI bats and smoke effects as they uh, you know droned across Apple Park with the big cameras, and they had like the haunting music. Didn't quite go for that, like Monster Mash, you know, but it was. It was the most upbeat premium uh, music that, that yeah. sounded Halloween-y. Uh, it fitted, and they obviously had the Apple Park lights all on and dark. And even when you went into the, the Johnny Sarugi Chip Lab, they'd like darkened all the walls because when they went in there before, it was a lot brighter. So they yeah. were like, you know, they they they'd gone the distance. Don't worry. And as we spoke about at the end, they went all out on production. Uh, but yeah, I think it was basically like we've got. Some products that maybe could have been a press release, but I think they care about the chips to the point that they consider them products, right? So they don't want to just... Oh, yeah. If they're introducing a new chip generation, they want it to be a, a, a some sort of big deal more than just a press release. You know, the Apple Pencil with USB-C gets a press release. The chips are, are higher tier than that, so they want some sort of presentation for them. And so this is what they came up with, right? They had two products, or three products, depending on how you count them, that were the same thing, just with new chips inside. They wanted to talk about the chips, and they wanted to talk about the products. Obviously, they could have done it in a press release if they really had to, but they had an opportunity to do something a bit different. They mixed it up. They did a half an hour video. I think people got slightly too hyped in the run up yeah. to it. Like there was some social media chatter that they've never advertised it in the app store before. They've never done web <laughs> advertising for these events. I'm like, they do it constantly. Like for the last four years, they put ads in newspapers and online. You know marketing and there was i think there was one quote where it was like get ready to watch a thrilling event and everyone was like well they must be announcing something <laughs> crazy i'm like no thrilling is just a play on words because it's halloween you know like chill out and that's what it was so it was exactly as i expected it to be mm-hmm. they i was kind of hoping that we might have seen craig federighi in a halloween costume but that didn't happen uh you know they they were all just basically just dressed in darker clothing than normal but it was all just you know normal workwear but otherwise than that, it was basically as I was expecting it to be. It was fun. It was a cool one-off. It mixed up the virtual event situation. I don't think it's going to be a common thing. I saw some speculation that they were like doing this as a test bed to make all their events run in the evening because there was a big um, thing about, oh, it's going up against Monday Night Football in America. You know, like They want to see whether Apple events can compete with sports. I don't think that was really anything to do with it. They were just embracing Halloween. They wanted to get this stuff out before the end of October and announce it. They were like, well, it's Halloween, so we might as well make it make it go for it. And here we are. A bit like how they did that one-off special event in that school that time for the education thing. In Chicago, with the iPads. yeah. In Chicago. And that had like its own special theme and custom 
you know set dressing and the like the presentation had they don't do this like every time this was like a one-off thing they had like all the presenters were drawn on the on the keynote presentation in like ink right they like draw out pictures of them oh, yeah they put that up there because it was talking about the apple pencil and they used a font that wasn't their normal fonts and they, they did that again this time with halloween normally they use san francisco for this event they were using like helvetica new in like a really light font weight so it was going against the grain of normality i just think it was a, a way for them to do something a bit different i don't expect this to be repeated on the regular and there wasn't an in-person component in California, but there was in New York City and apparently Mexico City. The thing in New York City looked more elaborate than I expected. They did briefings with the press all day on Monday. So before, it's the, before the video. Yeah. yeah. It's the first time in a long time that they've done product briefings before the video itself. And they also had like influencers and TikTokers there during the event to watch it and then shoot their content, their videos, and their TikToks after the fact. Yeah, if they do events in the evening again, I don't think it'll be a common thing that they also brief the press before because it just opens up so much more opportunity for stuff to leak out ahead of time. I don't think Apple likes it that... Like, they like to be the one to give you information first, right? And if you bring in, if you invite influencers and reviewers, even if you're sworn to secrecy, stuff gets out and, you know, shimmies about a little mm-hmm. bit. And it's just weird that, like, it's not characteristic of them to, like, let press go home with review units before the products have been announced to the press, right? It's just, oh, or to the world. And so if they do do another evening event, maybe they'll hold, like, the press briefing the next day or something. Like, I can't imagine this is going to be standard fare. They're not going to do the iPhone event in September. Like, we're going to do it in the evening and we're going to give you the iPhone in the morning before the event even happens. Like, (laughs) it's just not the right formula for them. They can draw so much more attention by their normal strategy this was a fun one-off thing maybe we'll see them do other different fun one-off things for different events going forward you know in the spring or maybe next october and stuff but i don't think this would be like the regular schedule so we got started during the event with the m3 chip three nanometer just like we expected the big picture here i think is the cpu cores are 15 percent faster than m2 that's the performance cores and then the efficiency cores are up to 30 percent faster than the m2 The comparisons during Apple's event focused a lot more on comparing to the M1 than the M2. And they still did some comparisons against Intel. And I think it's kind of time we move away from the Intel comparisons. But I get their logic that I'm assuming the the majority of Mac users are still on Intel Macs or close to the majority, would you think? Yeah, it has to be because they don't sell. They don't turn over the number of Macs in terms of units that they do for like iphones so you know in the iphone base they they turn over 100 million a year but i still think most people have a model that's two or more years old right so if you even if you apply that to the mac directly most people are on intel you know pre-apple silicon machines and i can tell you for a fact the cycle for ownership of the mac is way longer than two to three years like it is for the phone so people have macs going back 10 years eight years you know it's very common especially in enterprise but especially for consumers too uh, I was talking to somebody, um, I don't know, like a family friend. They have a 2015 iMac that they're finally looking to replace. And I was like, hold off a couple of weeks. There's going to be a, <laughs> there's going to be an M3 iMac, and here we are. Um, so it's it's a very common scenario. You know, people buy computers and then they use them until they finally on their knees. Like phones have an innate upgrade cycle yeah. into them because of the contracts. Uh, iPads slightly more updated probably more frequently than Macs, but only because they're like less mature products over time the ipad pro will be 
lasting five years, eight years, ten years, just like Macs do. Um, so yeah, most of their customer base is on Intel still, and I don't mind them comparing to Intel, but you also, I also want to watch these events getting a picture of year over year. So yeah, and to be fair, most of the most of the graphs of the keynote presentation that they showed, they did include the comparison to M2 on the slide. But they would just verbalize the comparison to M1 or Intel, mm-hmm. and the Intel and the M1 comparison is like fair enough or whatever. The the Intel comparison gets, I mean, it was embarrassing when they went from Intel to M1, right? When they first moved to Apple Silicon, but now it's kind of like we get it, you know, like the Intel stuff sucks, and they're not comparing it to the latest generation Intel chips; right. they're comparing it to, to to the Intel chips that shipped in the last versions of Macs that had Intel processors. So. You know, now they're comparing like the iMac to a five-year-old <laughs> Intel machine. It's like, oh, of course it's going to be faster. Like, it was almost, why wouldn't it be? Like, so I do think the Intel comparison can probably fade into the background. Uh, but the uh, a lot of people got upset that they were always talking about comparisons to M1 uh, rather than M2. But I think the M2 improvements are decent. Like, fifteen percent performance cores, thirty percent efficiency cores. It depends, obviously, exactly which model, which we'll get to in a minute, because mm-hmm. the the, like the core counts changed up quite a lot this cycle but just the raw year over year improvement is not bad it's still not quite what i was anticipating from the three nanometer transition really uh, like so? i was expecting a bit more like but then my expectations were tampered when we saw it with the a17 right yeah compared to the year, the year before that if you look at the like obviously we're still in the early stages all full reviews aren't out yet but geek benches are starting to come out the clock speed of these cpus is now up to over four gigahertz and so basically what it seems they've done is the architecture of the cpu cores are let's say they were running at the exact same gigahertz as the m2 the performance would be about the same but they're using the efficiency of going from five nanometer to three nanometer to be able to push up the gigahertz clock count, the clock speed, mm-hmm. without increasing, um, perf- you know, without decreasing performance per watt. I.e., the actual architecture of these chips is basically the same as it has been for at least one generation, and if not much, to the M1 Max. But by going to three nanometer, they're able to push the clock speeds much higher, which gives you the performance improvements. Um, you know, the, the especially in the performance cores, like fifteen percent faster than M2 is great, but if they'd have done architecture improvements as well as the three nanometer, they could be like you know double that or whatever. Uh, and for whatever reason, they haven't. That hasn't happened. Maybe they they've been struggling to find more and more improvements, and that's definitely an issue. You know, you can't make you can't make massive gains in CPU every single year. But if you take it, if you abstract it just into like a yearly average, going up fifteen percent performance cores, thirty percent efficiency cores, seems decent i mean literally nine months ago they were selling the m2 pro max chips right and the m2 so you've got a pretty big upgrade in the same year i think probably the schedule was meant to be that the m2 was going to ship you know in october not in january uh yeah that's how that's how it played out so i think the performance increases are pretty good uh at least on the top end model as in the max chip because the the uh, lower end chips are a bit more complicated, at least on like multi-core stuff, because of the way they changed the core counts. Uh, and that's the CPU. The GPU is, as we'd expect, the same architecture that we saw on the A17 Pro, right? So it's got the hardware ray tracing, it's got the hardware mesh rendering, mesh end, mesh, mesh shading, which will be very um, impactful in certain use cases. Not every use case, but some games and some 3D modeling applications. I think they said that you can get up to 1.8 times faster rendering compared to M2. Uh, and their big like headline feature, which 
they call dynamic caching is a way that they say will increase the average GPU utilization by like dynamically allocating memory. The, the technical specifics of this feature are very unclear and murky. They showed like a very abstract graph on the screen, which I get what they're going for. They're basically saying like before we would allocate this much memory regardless of what you're doing for the task. And so mm-hmm. there would be waste and stuff that isn't used. Now we can dynamically change it around. But, you know, and I have a programming background, but it's more on um, the CPU side rather than like graphics rendering side. So I don't immediately know like what part of the pipeline that they're actually addressing because it's not like when you like when you make an app you don't go well i need exactly eight gigabytes of memory right now maybe it's different on the gpu side when you're doing like graphics pipeline stuff i'm not 100 percent sure but i don't think the they would have made it such a core element of this presentation if it didn't have some impact in some cases so i think it's a pretty decent step forward they seem to think they seem to present it as like a first for the industry at large and at least so far i haven't seen anybody dispute that so That'll be interesting, and that will be on top of the like percentage gains, which come out of the, the core counts and the clock speed situation. So, in certain real world environments, you will get much more performance. Probably in cases where you were really stressing the chip before, and it would basically like you know bottleneck at this point because all the threads were taking up x static amount of memory, whereas now they can dynamically allocate and shift around. So, fingers crossed. The especially for like GPU centric needs you'll see some pretty big gains because of that. So the M3 chip itself is still an 8-core CPU with 4 performance, 4 efficiency, and then the 10-core GPU. But where things get murky or a lot different is with the M3 Pro. Mayo, you wrote that there's a lot more differentiation this year with the M3 Pro versus the M3 Max. So the M3 Pro is a 12-core CPU with six performance cores and six efficiency cores and an 18-core GPU. The M2 Pro was eight performance cores and four efficiency cores. So you're actually losing two performance cores and gaining two efficiency cores. And yes, the cores are faster, as we just spoke about before. They said the actual cores are 15 and 30% faster. But if you lose two performance cores some workloads are probably going to be slower. <laughs> yeah, they're going to suffer, yeah. Yeah, that like maybe the, the the 15% increase in the core performance itself will like offset, but I don't think you're going to see massive differences and as of recording there are Geekbench scores out there for the M3 and the M3 Max but not the M3 Pro. Uh maybe they will appear or maybe Apple has only seeded review units of the M3 and the M3 Max models because they know that the m3 pro differentiation will be quite small in apple's presentation they say that the m3 pro is up to 20 percent faster cpu and up to 10 percent faster gpu um in their like abstract numbers but mm-hmm. again we'll see how that makes its way percolates down to real world situations because as well as the re um shuffling of the performance and the efficiency on the cpu we also have one less GPU core because the M2 right. Pro had 19 core GPU and now we only have 18. Um, and the big, the big, like, so that's a that's a demarcation, right? Like, mm-hmm. the the composition of the cores has changed, and some of that might be to um, reflect what Apple's actually seeing in the real world in terms of how people use these machines. So, like, it, you don't want to. Um, put a big mark like a warning sign over the fact that it's got more efficiency cores necessarily because the efficiency cores 
are more efficient, but they're also pretty fast in their own right. I mean, I think if you had a, a Apple Silicon chip only composed of efficiency cores, it'd still be way faster than the Intel chips that they replaced, right? So like, you know, it's 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 not a necessary a massive red flag, but it is mm-hmm. like a maybe a, a sign that they're trending more towards a different like thermal profile for the M2 Pro for the M3 Pro where maybe you're going to maximize battery life a little bit more at the expense of some super high-end performance. Uh, and I think they might find that in the real world, most people buying MacBook Pros with, an M Pro, with a Pro chip in weren't stressing out the performance cores full-time anyway. So maybe in benchmarks, it becomes out worse or comes out you know even, but in real world, you're actually getting the benefits. So again, this stuff is not... Um, is not fully realized until we see it in the real world, of course. But there is a big, like, question mark there, whereas it seems like the M3 and the M3 Max will just be straight-up performance gains. Because you do get one extra hour of battery life on the M3 Pro this year. 11 hours for web browsing to 12, and 17 hours for video playback to 18. It's not a big improvement, but if you're right that Apple realized that people weren't stressing the cores, the performance cores very high on the M3 Pro, then that's probably a worthy trade-off. Because most people never actually switch to those efficiency cores. Switched from the efficiency cores to the performance cores, rather. Yeah, if you're just browsing Safari and doing email, you're basically living on efficiency cores. But, I mean, it's not quite that simple because, like, yeah, you know, in Apple's charts and diagrams and it's like, well, there's a very clear separation between the two. In real life, tasks get juggled across all the different threads continuously, but the the stressing of the workload is generally sitting on efficiency cores until you're doing something for like a burst performance and then you go to the performance course. So um, yeah, I think overall that the extra one hour batch life is probably explained by the reshuffling of the core count. Um, the big difference for me is that the the cores on the CPU are now different across the Pro and Mac. So in the M1 generation and the M2 generation, it would be the same. So you'd have eight and four on M2 and then... Uh, 8 and 2 on M1, so it went from a 10-core to a 12-core, but mm-hmm. both the Pro and the Mac chips had the exact same CPU. On M3, that is not the case. So as we just said, you have a 12-core CPU on M3 Pro, but you get a 16-core CPU on the M3 Max, which is composed of 12 performance cores and 4 efficiency cores. Um, so that one you can see, whereas with the M3 Pro, it was you know 6 and 6. Now they've gone 12 and 4. So it feels like they're really pushing the top-end boundary for the Max. And in Geekbench, in Geekbench scores that we've already seen, the M3 Max now performs close to rivaling the M2 Ultra, right. which is only available in the Mac Studio and the Mac Pro. So, you know, Apple's high-end laptop now can compare with the highest-end chip from the previous M2 generation, mainly because they slapped on more, more performance cores there. And so now you have a 16-core total design um, that pushes the boundary even further because you're, you're comparing it to last year, which was 8 and 4. So this allows Apple to quote up to 50% faster CPU performance than M2 Max and up mm-hmm. 20% faster than the GPU. On the GPU side, the M3 Max is a 40-core design. The M2 was a 38-core design. Uh, but the big difference here is CPU-wise now, if you want the best CPU, you have to go to the Max. Previous years, let's say for me, right, I'm doing Xcode. I don't necessarily compare, care about the GPU situation. So there was more incentive to stick on the Pro line, which is cheaper because um, you're getting the exact same CPU between Pro and Max. But this year, if you want the best CPU, you have to go up and spend the extra money to go up to the Max. Uh, now, I also went to the Max anyway when I got my M1 mm-hmm. because I wanted the extra RAM. 
Because in the M1 generation, to get 64 gigabytes of RAM, you had to go to the Max. It right. wasn't available on Pro. The most common configuration I think people buy of the 14-inch and 16 MacBook Pro is a Pro chip, as in Pro with 32 gigs or 16 gigs of RAM. And now that they've kind of differentiated the the the, the lines and the chips, maybe it's a, a balancing towards performance and battery life, as we just mentioned, or maybe it's also Apple trying to fudge the numbers around so that they can encourage more people to upgrade and spend the extra money. Um, because now, if you want the best performance on either CPU or GPU, you have to spend the extra to go up to the, the max chip. And the Mac chip itself has multiple configurations where you get like the lower end 30 core design or you can get a higher end design with the 40 core GPU and the extra CPU cores. And amongst those variants, you get different levels of RAM. So the maximum RAM now has gone up across the board. On the M3, you can get 24 gigs max now. On the M3 Pro, you can get 96, up from 64. Um, and on the M3 Max, you can get 128. Sorry, on the, M- on the M3 Pro, it was 32. Now it's 96. And then on the M3 Max, it goes up to... It was 96, now it goes up to 128. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to, you could get the middling CPU with more RAM. But if you now want to maximize the CPU, you have to pay You have to pay up. Uh, and that means that if you have the Max chip, if you have the lower core count Max chip, you can't buy the higher-end RAM configurations. Because of the. I think they're building like two separate trains of Max chip with different like board layouts. Yeah, where one has four um, memory banks and one has three, which is why you can only get two options. Because I think the options are like 32, 36 gigs of RAMs or 96 gigabyte of RAM. If you want the 64 gigabyte RAM, you have to get the 40 core GPU and the 16 core CPU option. So it gets pretty complicated and also more expensive on your wallet. So yeah, the higher end of the MacBook Pro line now with the M3 is way more high end and rivaling the ultra chip of the previous generation but you are also having to spend more to get it uh, there was also some consternation that i wanted to bring up about memory bandwidth so te- the, the memory bandwidth on m2 and m1 from the pro chip was 200 gigabytes per second that's now gone down to 150 um again maybe a sign that they're trying to you know eke out profit margin on that pro chip but in real world use there's been plenty of tests on this very 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 infrequently did you actually get up to that 200 gigabyte theoretical maximum so that in real world situations you're probably not going to feel that maybe with dynamic caching uh it might actually make it more likely that you do use more bandwidth up simultaneously and so that's where apple's going to get some of the throughput gains but in day-to-day life i don't think the the drop down from 200 to 150 will matter too much similarly on the max chip the base the base model of the max chip now is 300 gigabytes of Mm -hmm. memory bandwidth if you want the full 400 gigabytes of memory bandwidth which was the same on all previous max chips you have to get the high-end option I don't think that is a reflection of like Apple doing product differentiation. That is probably just a reality of what they could manufacture. And, you know, we've heard about issues with three nanometer chip manufacturing. So they probably have to bid in different ways or make compromises or make slightly lower yield options that are the most expensive. So I think over time, the complexity of the Max chip specifically will disappear again. So, you know, like once they mature into the current architecture of fabrication, like with the M4 or whatever, they'll probably go back to a simpler lineup there. But as it stands, that is the um, compromise they've had to come to. I think the redesign of the Pro chip to be more of a balance rather than closer to the higher end is a conscious decision. Uh, But the max weirdness is just a, a quirk of manufacturing. Then some of the same limitations when it comes to external displays still apply this generation. The M3 is still limited to one external display, so you can run the 
MacBook Pro screen itself with one external display. The M3 Pro can support up to two external displays at 6K or one external display at 6K and one external display at 4K with 144 Hz with HDMI. Then the M3 Max can support up to four external displays. So that's up to three with 6K resolution over Thunderbolt and one at up to 4K over HDMI. So I think not, pretty much all of that great is... great situation. Yeah. The M3 still being limited to one external display is disappointing. I think people underestimate how common multi-display setups are because not everybody's using it with two Pro Display XDRs or two studio displays. But if you go into an enterprise setting or even like a school, you'll see a lot of people with like two Dell 24-inch monitors that are like 1080p displays. But there's yeah, you're not them. asking for like 4K support on all the on all the externals, yeah. but you just want like 1080p or whatever um, on more than one. And there are like some weird workarounds you can do with like Display Link or these other like things that can kind of make it possible. But it would be way nicer if like the base model M3 you could just do two display outputs at the same time because that's the only real downside compared to Intel, right? Like if you take the old the the Intel model they compare to, the Apple Silicon will outstrip it in every regard apart from. Uh, the number of displays you can output to yeah. natively, which is a bit annoying. And when it was the M1, it was like, well, you know, this is Gen 1. They'll probably get to it eventually. M2 comes around, it doesn't change. M3 comes around, it doesn't change. So now it starts to grind my gears a bit more. Some people say this is, again, like marketing choice, i.e. making you spend more to do that. But I, I don't think it's that. I think they just designed the chip as it was, uh, and for whatever reason, it only supports one display controller. You have to spend more to get the bigger ones. Over time, I think eventually the like the M4, or the M5 will support multiple displays on the base model because I don't really think it's a a marketing choice because it's a weird thing to differentiate for marketing reasons. Really, yeah. So I think it's just a limitation of their current silicon design, and they will eventually fix it. But at least their M3, it persists. Something else that got a call out during the keynote that I thought was a little bit interesting is M3 supports AV1 decoding. Did you I think, think that was interesting, did you? A little bit, because we talked about we, this a little bit. Well, hang on a minute, because when I okay. brought it up in the oh, September God. event podcast, you said, oh, that was a bit silly. Yeah, I, you, Why'd you bother you, bringing it up? You converted, you converted my opinion. <laughs> I knew it was a big deal, see? I, I was ahead of the curve. <laughs> to me, it seems like a bigger deal on a laptop than it does on a phone, okay? But <laughs> I'm only a- kidding, but yeah. AV1 is the high efficiency video codec thing that Apple actually, they join like the group to help they develop it yeah. with Google, a- Amazon, Hulu. Theoretically, this means you'll get a lot more battery life and efficiency out of streaming video on websites like Hulu and and Netflix, whether or not they called turned. out Netflix. They said Netflix's I know, name. That, that's one of the things that was surprising is yep. a straight yep. call out to competitor. I mean, we, we didn't get a 15-second Netflix preview like we did with Apple TV Plus for now. Oh, I'll bring so. that up in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was silly. But yeah, but yeah the, I mean, anything that meant, that means Apple has to mention Netflix's name in a, during a presentation is a significant change. So they are all in an AV1 decode. And that probably means that over time, the Apple CDNs for their own yeah. services will also start streaming AV1. That will take some time because obviously it's only in the highest end models right now. But they can do stuff like, you know, serve AV1 to people that got it and serve HD64 to older devices and slowly migrate. Um, but yeah, this is a big deal because 
the previous cycle, we had the big fight of a VP9 codex, right, for YouTube in higher resolution, right. and Apple dragged its feet, and they eventually added support only on the Apple TV. Um, but this time around, they're actually backing AV1, so it is actually industry-wide standard, uh, and it's now encoded literally into their chips for decoding. So big step forward. Everybody's a happy chappy. We won't have the stupid format war fight soon. So big picture, are you impressed with the M3 unveiling lineup? Or? I think it's about as I anticipated. I, I was the, yeah. The, I wasn't expecting the Max to push as high as it did. I I wasn't expecting to rival the M2 Ultra. So that was a that was a big tick. But the M3, the base M3, is basically as I anticipate it would be. You know, because it basically mirrors the A17 Pro performance jump. Um, the M3 Pro, the quest the fields out a little bit there because the way that they've reconfigured it, it might be slightly worse. Um, or I think it'll probably end up just being like identical to the M2 Pro, i.e. not like any yeah. different, negligible, negligible difference. Uh, but you go to the the Max, you get the performance jump, and you, for the M3, you get performance jump. Like, you know, a 15 to 30% performance jump in one year is not too bad. You compare it to the M1, as Apple love to do, and it's mm-hmm. like a 50 to 60% performance jump. Uh, so... Yeah, I'd say it's pretty pretty positive. I was, I think, if they had more architecture changes to go along with three nanometer, we'd have an even bigger situation. Uh, but that didn't happen. So as it is, they've taken the advantage they got at three nanometer and basically shipping the same design cores as they have done before. Apart from that's on the CPU side, at least GPU is more yeah. complicated because they added the new features and uh, you know that that that's hard to judge in a raw benchmark and we don't even have full gpu benchmarks leaking out yet so when the reviews come out we'll know for sure how much of a difference that makes so fingers crossed it's pretty good but as always cpu side apple's continuing to lead the industry at the moment probably the first reviews of machines with these chips early next week we're already seeing the benchmarks it wouldn't be abnormal for apple to have only seeded the base model and the M1 Ma- or M3 Max configurations to reviewers, which could explain the lack of benchmarks for the M3 Pro. And they're even more incentivized to do that this time around. Right, if exactly. The M3 Pro isn't that much to speak about. So we might not even learn about M3 Pro until actual people get their hands on hands on the machines next week. Happy Hour this week is brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh delivers fresh, high-quality pre-portioned ingredients to your door with easy-to-follow recipe instructions so you can make delicious meals easily. Sign up now at HelloFresh.com slash happyhourfree and use promo code happyhourfree to get free breakfast for life. That's one breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. The holiday season is a hectic time and HelloFresh can help take the stress out of dinner by delivering everything you need to cook up tasty meals right to your door, saving you tons of time. And HelloFresh's 15-minute meals are super fast to prepare and plate, the perfect way to get wholesome meals on the table in less time than it would getting takeaway delivery. Enjoy every bite this holiday season. Choose from over 45 weekly recipes that suit your lifestyle and over 100 curated picks from the HelloFresh market. If you're hosting a dinner party, please a crowd with market picks like mouth-watering desserts and photo-worthy charcuterie boards. And HelloFresh is so much more than just delicious dinners. You can get easy breakfasts, quick lunches and snacks delivered along with your weekly box. Now, Chance, I know HelloFresh sent you some recipes to try, so how did you find it? Yeah, they sent me three different meals. There was a crispy buffalo chicken, some Gouda burgers and pork meatloaf. I think there are two things about HelloFresh that really stand out. 
the first thing is you know that every ingredient you're going to need is in the box and you have it there as you cook the meal. You don't find out halfway through cooking that, oh, you don't have this ingredient or that ingredient. Because I know everybody has probably been in a situation where you're making dinner, you're about halfway through and you realize that you don't have a couple of those final ingredients and you kind of have to scrap the entire meal. HelloFresh makes sure that doesn't happen. And also HelloFresh's sauces. They're so good and they're so easy to just add on to whatever meal you're having. And they're not sauces that you can just easily replicate on your own. They're unique and they're tasty. And again, everything you need for those sauces is right in the box. You can't beat it. So go to HelloFresh.com slash happy hour free and use promo code happy hour free for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash happy hour free with code happy hour free. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Thanks to HelloFresh for sponsoring the show. So as for the machines that actually have the M3 and M3 Pro and M3 Max, we start with the M3 MacBook Pro. So this is a replacement for the 13-inch touch bar machine. And I was surprised by this. So it's the same basic design as the 14 and 16-inch higher-end MacBook Pros. It's basically a new lower-cost entry that only comes with the M3. So previously, if you wanted a MacBook Pro with the M2, your option was the Touch Bar machine. So now this comes into the lineup at $300 more expensive, so $1599. And it gets you the M3, the vanilla M3 chip, the 120 hertz ProMotion display, HDMI, SD card slot. You do lose one Thunderbolt port, which I don't think is like a differentiation thing. I think it's just a limitation of the M3 chip itself. Yeah, the M3 has less memory bandwidth right. and less Thunderbolt controllers, which is one of the reasons why it only supports one external display. Yeah. But, but the the 13-inch touch bar only had two USB-C ports as well, right? So it's the same. That's all it had. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So now you've got two USB-C <laughs> yeah. ports plus all the other I.O., like HDMI. Plus HDMI, plus SD card. And you get MagSafe too. So in the touch bar MacBook Pro, you had to always use one of those USB-C ports to charge. But now you also have MagSafe to charge. So you always have both of your USB-C ports free. So there's some mental gymnastics you could do to say... You basically gained a USB-C port in that case, but this is a compelling machine, I think. It's definitely more compelling than the Touch Bar yeah, MacBook Pro. Yeah, it's $15.99. Yes. Yeah. So it's a bit higher end than the 13-inch Touch Bar that it replaced, because that was like $12.99. Right. So you do have to spend a bit of extra money, but I do think it's a pretty good refinement of the lineup. The display alone justifies that price increase, I think. Because the ProMotion Mini LED display on these MacBook Pros is by far the best thing. And Apple didn't limit this entry-level version at all. It's the same screen as what you get on the higher-end 14- and 16-inch machines. And because of the shakeup with the M3 Pro, the CPU performance between the M3 and the M3 Pro is not that different, right? Like... If That's you compare true. to last yeah. year, the, the jump from M2 to M2 Pro was more significant. Whereas here, the chasm is going to be smaller, especially when you consider that the base level M3 Pro that you can buy is not the 12-core one, it's the 11-core one. So there's actually a difference there, right? So the, the, the 1599 M3 MacBook Pro is the 8-core CPU, 10-core GPU M3. 
the now that's fifty ninety nine. The base model M three Pro MacBook Pro that's fourteen inches is nineteen ninety nine, and that's eleven core CPU, fourteen core GPU. Um, so it's not even like that far apart. So if you're only doing single core performance tasks, I think the M3 base is probably going to get you like 98% of the way there. Uh, because like you say, it has the exact same display, exact same design otherwise. One of the big limitations of the M3 base configuration though is the RAM. It's still just 8 gigabytes of unified memory. Yeah, the Pro gets you 18 gigabytes. Yeah. I would say that's probably the biggest limitation of this machine is that 8 gigabytes of RAM. You do get 512 gigabytes of storage this year, whereas the 13-inch Touch Bar MacBook Pro was just 256. Yeah, so if you spec the M3 with 16 gigs of RAM, it goes up to 17.99, which is $200 less than the M3 Pro. Still not a bad option. No, um, not at all. Yeah. And I think you look at the M2, if you compare it on the other end of the line now to the M2 MacBook Air, i.e. the 15-inch M2 MacBook Air, that is cheaper that's like 12.99 as well but you have to spend 200 dollars to match this ssd storage right so because that that baseline is 256 so you get to basically 14.99 versus 15.99 and for the extra 100 you get the more modern chip which is faster and you get the much better display and you get the other io so it's pretty good yeah like i don't know about the the theory that the 13 inch touch bar sticked around because you know, like enterprise and business wanted something with the pro name written on it and they wanted something that wasn't too expensive. This kind of goes against that because now the cheapest pro is fifty ninety nine, not twelve ninety nine. Yeah. But the actual product is way better. So I think Apple's gonna try and push the fifty inch air as the go to for the old situations and to try and lose the branding. Like the the incorrect um disdain for the air branding compared to pro is something they need to like work on. Uh but I guess now, if people really, really do want the Pro on the label, they can Apple can collect more money out of them at the same time. But as a product, I think it's pretty good. The 8 gigabytes of RAM is obviously the big warning, the question mark there. You know, in the modern day, it would be nice if it was 16 gigabytes of RAM, but here we are. And again, if you're doing... It depends what you're doing. If you're doing what a lot of people do do on their MacBook Pro, you can probably get away with 8 gigs of RAM and not really feel it. Uh, like... I'd almost argue more people will get impacted by the lack of two external display support than the 8 gigabyte, 16 gigabyte of RAM. Uh, but if you want to spend the extra 200 to get the RAM and have a 1799 config, I still think that's a pretty good option. And probably a better value for money than the M3 Pro. Again, pending seeing the actual real-world testing of it. But looking at the specs and looking at the early Gigabench results, single-core tasks especially, I think the M3 will be basically identical. So... Um, yeah, not a bad option and I do much prefer from a customer like outside analyst perspective it's way better to have that as the lineup than have the aging touch bar situation because that product was not good I didn't hate the touch bar but I didn't love it either and it was just kind of hanging around as like this weird thing this is a much better option having the much better display is a huge deal the battery life on the 14 inch M3 is impressive it's better than what you get on the m3 pro the m3 max configuration and it matches what you get on the 16 inch m3 pro or max it's 15 hours of web browsing 22 hours of video playback compared to 18 on the 14 inch m3 pro or max and 22 on the 16 that i do wonder about that though because the max chips 
generally got less worse battery life than the pro chips on previous yeah, generations they're lumping Apple it doesn't together break it out yeah. yeah but i can imagine that being the same again especially now that the max has an even better cpu i feel like there's going to be a bigger jump between battery life um which is something i didn't mention in the chip section but like the power usage of the max chip has got to be way higher than the maximum power usage of the pro chip so apple doesn't break out battery life between those models but i expect there to actually be a difference in real life but yeah, I'd happily recommend this, the the M3 laptop to people. I don't think it's, you know, people love to like see the 8 gigabytes of RAM and freak out about it. Look, I wish it was 16, I'm not going to lie, but I don't think it's, I think they can get away with it for one more generation, you know. I think it makes the MacBook Air an even more compelling option because before you had the 15-inch MacBook Air at 1299 and that weird touch bar MacBook Pro at 1299. But now when you look at that 15-inch Air with the bigger screen and what I think is the better design, at $1299, I don't, I wouldn't be willing to spend that extra $300 to jump up to the M3 Pro. Yeah, the Pro distinguishes itself now with the better display, yeah. the extra ports, mm-hmm. and the slightly better performance, obviously. And, you know, in another year's time, you'll end up with an M3 Air, obviously, but for now, the, the Pro has the performance edge. Um, so, yeah, obviously, for most people the the recommendation is still an air but if you go to the pro lineup i think you've got decent options there and the 16 everyone loves to freak out about the eight gigabyte ram thing the air has eight gigabytes of ram as well and people are just happier like whatever limitations of eight gigabytes of ram are real they also apply to the air so you can i think and i think just because it has a pro in the name it doesn't make it like worse it's just the same difference you know like they can call them even if it was just macbook across the whole line it would still be the same issue so i don't get too annoyed about like the branding compared to paired with eight gigabytes of ram it is a benefit i would recommend people upgrade it but if you buy the eight gigabytes of ram model i think you'll be okay ultimately it just means that this m3 macbook pro is actually like pro now the touch bar version was not really pro in anything other than its naming but the pro machine. was like the old pro was like a slightly thicker air. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was worse in a lot of ways, yeah. especially once the air got magsafe and all of that stuff. It was Yeah, exactly. The MacBook Pro had really fewer connectivity options than the MacBook Air. So, yeah, this is a lot better despite it technically being more expensive. And then with the M3 Pro Max, you do get some slight hardware changes, right? So Space black. Space black the new color some of it, the pictures it still looks gray it's pretty gray i think i yeah. it's just weird how they show try how they announced it in like a dark room the keyboard is black so you see the blackness of the keyboard and then you're like oh man the actual design of the macbook itself is going to match that keyboard blackness and it doesn't doesn't even come close yeah it's a dark gray <laughs> you, it's you have the you have the black bezel of the screen and you have the, black yeah. bezel of the keyboard surrounded then you've got this dark gray laptop that they actually call space black but it is 100 percent way darker than space gray yes that is true yeah so uh i would pick that color if i was buying this year me too uh, I, I would still i would still campaign to make it even darker as in more black but uh it definitely looks nice from the pictures and, and they I've, say it's got fingerprint resistance an anodization seal which sounds like it'll work some of the early hands-on takes are positive for the most part, they say it doesn't solve the fingerprint problem, but it does help, especially in comparison to the midnight MacBook Air, which is just an absolute fingerprint magnet. So being better than the midnight MacBook Air isn't saying a whole lot, but it's it's nice that they've apparently come up with some sort of solution, and I hope they bring this 
anodization sealed to the midnight air. Do you think they're going to... Rep- yeah, that's a question, though, because the, the MacBook Pro 14-inch M3 does not get the space black color option. That is so true. they've kind of positioned it as a higher-end option, but then obviously they've done it in response to the fingerprint complaints on the midnight color on the air. So yeah. when the air comes to be refreshed again, do they give it the... Does space black then just go down the lineup and they give up on that differentiation? That's a I question. Th- I think midnight is a better color than space black. Space Black has that seal now, which makes it better in a lot of ways. But a midnight MacBook Air with the anodization seal fingerprint thing, that would be a better setup than Space Black. Midnight's darker than Space Black. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> yeah. Apple does not, still has not figured out what color space is. But I'll take it. It could be darker still, but it is darker. So that's a thumbs up. Progress, yeah. Yeah. There's the SDR uh, brightness on the screen now matches the studio display. So it's 600 yes. nits rather than 500 nits. Um, obviously, most of your work day, you're in SDR, not HDR. So this is something that you'll feel day to day. They did a similar bump on the iPhones as well this year, which is cool. Um, so slightly brighter screen. But otherwise... It's an identical design, right? Like to mm-hmm. the M2 that was re- and the M1. Same design family. They just got the new newest chips in it, which is obviously what people care about. I don't think we're going to have a chassis redesign for the MacBook Pro until they do the OLED thing, right? Which is rumored for like 2025-ish. Yeah. Because yeah. well, the 2016 design basically stayed around until... 21. And this design is so good. I mean, I don't really know how... They could change it to be better other than the obvious things like the back and forth cycle of going between making it thinner versus thicker. It's a good design. I don't think you can argue with that. The I think there is a bit of an argument maybe that the they could make it a bit thinner because I do think it feels a bit tanky. And I don't think it needs to be thinner, just a little lighter. Okay, thinner, lighter, yeah. Um, especially if they wanted to, like if they've differentiated the chips now between Pro and Max, there's maybe room for them to like physically change it too. So like the thermal envelope of the Pro would be less than the Max. So you could have the tank yeah. version if you buy the Max and if you buy a Pro chip, it's slightly more sleek. So that might be something that they're, they're heading towards over the longer term. But for this generation, it's obviously just keep the chassis the same, bump the bump the tech specs. Well, the and the M3 Max is already... The configuration with the M3 Max is ever so slightly heavier than the M3 and the M3 Pro. So... Yeah, they put extra heat sink on it, I think. Overall, yeah, overall, big thumbs up. Yeah, very happy. But now you are not planning to upgrade, is that right? You're sticking with no, the M1. No, 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 no. I, 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 every time they compared it with my M1, <laughs> I was yeah. like, well, it's 70% slower or 50% slower, but, you know, that's the, that's the course of progress. Some of those numbers had me contemplating. They had me contemplating, like, the 50%, and I was like, that... It's actually a big difference, but then I was like, I don't actually use this thing for anything other than blogging about Apple. I'm fine. Yeah, I mean, no joke, for your use case, you could use the base M3. That's offensive. But I mean, it's true, though. <laughs> like, I actually do more... I do Xcode and stuff, right? So it's a bit more... It's you a don't bit know more if I, I actually do. need... I could, I could be doing Xcode. You don't know Well, that. go for it. <laughs> but if you don't... But well, I guess what I'm getting at is that, you know, yeah, even yeah. quote-unquote pros, that 16-inch M3, even with 8 gigabytes of RAM, pretty good, pretty solid. I guess you're, you've used more than one external display, though, so that would wipe you out. No, not anymore. Not anymore, no. but you have done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're uh, saying that my Mac Studio with an M1 Max is overkill for me? I mean, I think that's evident. The most intensive thing I do is 
bounce this podcast out of logic every week and that okay well for that alone you should get the max the new max because uh, then you can bounce it five seconds quicker no like <laughs> i the the real world performance is a real interesting thing because you know apple yeah. shoves all these percentages at you but even their percentages vary depending on what they're saying right so like you know they basically said the cores are 30 to 50 15 to 30 percent faster but then when they were talking about the laptops themselves they had like performance benchmarks based on like real world activities so they'd say like the m3 is 40 percent faster than the m2 at image filtering or the 16 yeah. inch m3 pro is 20 percent faster compared to the m2 pro for image processing and then for the max they were like it's up to twice as fast for scene rendering in cinema 4d which is probably relying on some of the dynamic caching and stuff from the gpu side so you know in some situations you're going to see really really big gains um but that is true every single year so i'm not going to upgrade every single year so i'm i'm holding out i'm perfectly happy with my ml max it does stuff very very quickly um if someone landed a m3 pro on my desk or m3 max on my <laughs> desk i wouldn't say no to it but i'm you know, sure it's expensive and the exact config that i'd want now is even more expensive because of the separation segmentation on the max line so yeah buying basically the equivalent of what i bought for this generation but for the m3 would be at least another 500 dollars more expensive if not more so the prices have gone up on the high end but they're also giving you a lot more performance on the high end so it's a fair trade overall did you want to rant about the tv plus uh mentioned now oh yeah okay right so this came <laughs> up during the they were talking about the um the macbook pro like m3 max right they were talking about the performance yeah. and they were talking about the the sdr um, brightness and then they mentioned the color there's a new color and then they mentioned mac os sonoma as in you know now all these laptops run the latest version of mac os and they mentioned a few features about mac os sonoma but basically it was an excuse to open the tv app right so they opened the tv app and then it's like well and here we have mono coming in later in november which is their new godzilla tv show i probably will watch the all godzilla right. tv show i think it looks quite good <laughs> But it was the most cack-handed way of forcing it into this presentation I think I've ever seen. Because they're like, oh, let's take a look. So then they click on it, and then it shows for like 10 seconds, and they're done with it. I was like, <laughs> what is the actual point of including this clip? It literally lasted 15 seconds. Somebody and it was, was like, like, we mentioned Netflix. We have to include this or something to show. We make stuff ourselves. We mentioned Netflix. Look, if you're gonna figure uh, this out. If you're going to include it, embrace it and actually include a full clip you know in the old steve jobs days he'd play like he'd play like two minute segments of the office to get a laugh out of the audience (laughs) and then he'd go oh i love that clip let's watch it again and then he'd do it again (laughs) like you know like i feel like you have to go for it if you're actually going to do it otherwise it just comes up as like fake and like obscuring and being like embarrassed about it so they've done it before i think it was like a wwdc where they showed like foundational for the first time and they did it for like a proper like two minute segment. It's like, okay, if you're actually interested in TV show stuff, this is a way to get you embraced and involved in the TV show and you're ready for it to come out. This was just like, here's five seconds of like Godzilla roaring and then we're done and then we'll move <laughs> on. It was like a very weird way of doing it. I think if they want to promote services in their events, make them a proper segment, you know? Like they've done that before too, where they like talk about services at the beginning and they do like a TV plus coming soon or whatever. Yeah. Like, that's a better way to do it than to just like, Oh, and in the middle of macOS Sonoma, we're just going to randomly click on the TV app widget and play this clip. Like, it was just a bad way to do it. I would have been pretty annoyed if they put a two-minute TV Plus clip in a in a keynote that was keeping me up at night. I would have been a little bit annoyed about that, so I'm not too mad about a 15-second clip, but it was definitely random and out of place. If you're going to do a 15-second clip, you might as well not do it, is my argument. Yeah. Like, do it properly or don't do it at all. 
Happy Hour this week is also brought to you by Simple MDM. Simple MDM is a powerful, intuitive MDM solution designed to simplify and streamline your Apple device management workflow. Check them out at simplemdm.com slash 9to5Mac. Deploying a fast-growing Apple device fleet can be overwhelming, and then keeping every managed device and secure adds even more complexity for companies of any size. Simple MDM offers powerful features and comprehensive device management capabilities to help overcome these challenges. You can automate onboarding, enforce device policies and restrictions, and customize settings with advanced configuration options all available through a user-friendly interface. Make sure everyone has the apps they need with the ability to deploy App Store apps, volume purchase program, and custom apps with ease. And you can use Simple MDM's Monkey integration to offer a self-service experience for macOS users. Don't let the complexities of Apple device management slow you down. Simplify your workflows and unleash the full potential of your Apple devices with Simple MDM. Visit their website at simplemdm.com slash 9to5Mac to learn more and start your 30-day free trial. That's simplemdm.com slash 9to5Mac. Thanks to Simple MDM for sponsoring the show. And finally, we have the M3 iMac. Uh, it has an M3 chip inside, and I think... That's all there is to talk about? I mean, they That's pretty much did the absolute bare minimum, which is fine, I think. I mean, the M1 iMac is such a good computer. We still have our M1 iMac. It's my wife's computer at home, and it's it's great. I mean, I'm not, I don't see any need to update upgrade to an M3. It's it's a great computer that I'm glad exists, and it hasn't, and it's now up to date, and it's not more expensive, and that's it. Yep, every. This is what we want, right? Like, just yeah. keep iterating the hardware so it doesn't lag behind for no reason. You don't have to revolutionize the product every single year or change it up loads. Just stick a new chip in it and keep going. It was a bit weird. They didn't do it last year with the M2, right? For some reason, the iMac skipped yeah. the M2 generation. Um, I don't know if that was a production problem or Something what, or weird supply issue. happened. Something, Something weird. I, they probably yeah. wanted to do it, right? Like, I don't think there was a reason why like, they really wanted to wait for M3, but that's what happened. Um and so here it is. It's the same computer that that was great before, and now it has M3 in it too. It's faster. I think it's like two and a half times faster than the M1 one that it replaced. Mm-hmm. Same price. Move along. Great. The only thing that is a bit stupid is that they didn't change the accessories at all. So when we say it's yeah. the exact same product they were selling two years ago, it's the exact same product Literally. they were selling two yeah. years ago, including the same keyboard and trackpad and mouse. They, you know, when they did the iMac. Um, the 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 24 inch iMac before they took the time to add Touch ID to the keyboard, right? So like modernize it up and let you give let you have the biometric experience on the Mac too. This time they don't even want to do the the lesser design change of changing the port from Lightning to USB C. So it means the iMac still ships the Lightning cables in the, in the box, <laughs> and they grab the keyboard and mouse that have the different port to what now their iPhone ship. That is so stupid. It's stupid. stupid. stupid I don't. Stupid. It's just another case of Apple kind of shooting themselves in the foot a little bit. I think they did this last year when they released the new AirPods Pro with Lightning, only to update them with USB-C the next year. It's it's stupid. I don't think it's a huge deal for most people because you don't charge these things very often. But it's just putting more Lightning cables out into the world, and the future is a world without Lightning. I think it's pretty clear they probably just had a bunch of these sitting in a stockpile somewhere 
And Tim Cook came in and said, nope, we're using those. We're using those <laughs> till they're gone. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think it's embarrassing that the air, that they share, sell AirPods that don't have USB-C. Like, not just the AirPods Max, the base AirPods, yeah. right? That case is still lightning. It's like, you know, you're the company that can, like, ship a, the most advanced virtual reality headset that the world's ever seen, but you're still well. going to sell lightning accessories till the end, to the ends of days. It's like... Come on, Apple, sort it out, you know. Like, we, I wasn't expecting him to do anything wild with the keyboard and the mouse, you know. Like I was still expecting the child from the bottom and look exactly the same, but swap the ports out. Oh, come on. The configuration options of the M3 iMac are also pretty much unchanged. So you can get the M3 in an 8-core CPU and 8-core GPU configuration, which you can't get on the M3 MacBook Pro. And that... 8-core, 8-core configuration is also still limited to just two Thunderbolt ports. Whereas if you go up to the 8-core CPU and 10-core GPU, you get the two Thunderbolt ports and two additional USB-C ports. I would have liked to see them clean that up a little bit and just make four ports be the same across the board. But again, that's more of a limitation of the 8-core CPU and GPU chip design. Yeah, that's the chip limitation, just like with the base model. MacBook Pro. There was one interesting quote that John Turner said while he was presenting the iMac segment because they were kind of encouraging people. They were mentioning the Intel iMacs and they they mentioned the 27-inch Intel iMac alongside the M1 24-inch. Mm-hmm. And he basically said that if you're whatever iMac you're coming from, whether it's the 21-inch Intel or the 27-inch Intel, uh, the 24-inch iMac is the perfect size and resolution to replace both the 4K and the 5K models. I don't understand how... This obviously has yeah. some implications yeah. on the uh, absent iMac Pro for Apple Silicon. I don't understand how that math works. 4.5K is not a replacement for 5K. Well, it's in between, I think, is what yeah, you're trying to say. That's, in yeah, words. and that's, that's a downgrade <laughs> if you're using 5K right now. And they also make a 5K external display that is a better replacement for a 5K iMac if they would just put Apple Silicon inside. I don't get it. I, It's clear that they don't have any plans, really for a big screen iMac. Mark Gurman has said it's in the works, but then it was put on pause and maybe now it's back in the works, but not for at least a couple years. Yeah, like 2025 kind of time range. I think the what he said here is like they're selling what they have, right? So don't expect a bigger iMac anytime soon, but it doesn't eliminate the possibility forever. If they're, you know, if they've just started working on it again now, it won't be ready for three years. So in those three years, in that interim period, they're going to try and sell anybody who's holding on to a 27-inch Intel iMac to buy this instead. I hope they do ship a bigger one because that'd be great. And if they do ship a big one, it also gives them an opportunity to get rid of the chin because then they could just have it all in the in the back yeah. of it. That'd be sleek, and you know, maybe and and maybe it's not 27 inches, maybe it's 32 inches, right, or whatever. But ship a bigger one eventually. But right now. It's the same design, 24-inch. No surprises there. Same colors, too, which I was more surprised they didn't remove some of the color options instead of add new ones, but they just kept it all the same. They've got green keyboards they seem to get through, so they can't take the yeah. green away. <laughs> the blue is the best color, and I stand by that. That's what, we, that's what me and my wife have, and you can't really beat it. The orange is pretty nice, too, but it's a bit too, a bit too bold. It's a shame they don't have a dark black kind of color, but... Like a space like black. The, the, the silver one's fine, but it does kind of remind me of like PC computers from like 2005. You know, it just, looks like an HP. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So 
they have all the vibrant colors but if you just want something muted this silver is the only option so but anyway they didn't change it. i wasn't expecting to change it like you said they they maybe had the only the only expectations here was fewer colors but yeah. they the same colors uh that's fine m3 imac very simple straightforward again could have been a press release but they had a little event they made it half an hour they had some fun with it here you go i'm not complaining and the event apple said at the very end the last slide was shot on iphone and edited on mac edited on mac this i think most of us saw this and we're like oh that's pretty cool and then it kind of dominated everything for the next 24 <laughs> hours it turned it leave it to the internet to take something this i don't know this mundane or this basic this boring no. and then blow it up and turn it into like well if you have an iphone you can't create an event just like this they had hundreds of thousands of dollars in other equipment which i think that misses the point of they had that same other equipment when they were using fancy cameras all they did was swap the fancy camera for an iphone and it turned out just as just as good yeah look you ask apple straight up if the iphone's as good as a big camera they're going to tell you no right like if you get them honestly but the point is in this situation under these conditions they pulled it off and it worked well and so it's a really big commendation for the iphone 15 pro with its pro video features like you know usb-c straight to ssd and, and log recording exporting like i think it's cool put your money like before this event yeah people would be criticizing for saying well you don't use it for your own events put your money where your mouth is <laughs> and so now they have done that and everyone's mad at them for doing it so yeah i think this is cool obviously big cameras are still better than iphones because the sensors are huge but yeah you can clearly make it work and it worked well and it looked good and yes the video still has massive cameras and lights sorry massive lights and you know millions of dollars of production value going into it and cgi and editing across the board and i'm sure they tested it in advance they didn't just like walk up a week ago and say we're going to record it on a phone they obviously did demos and testing and checked that it would work and it's even more impressive that they did it for the night event because it's lower light conditions like i think it's cool and would they do it again i don't know maybe but they might as well because the the end result looked pretty good and i I think some like pixel peepers have looked into the background said yeah you can actually see it shot on a phone because like the 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 backgrounds are a bit murkier or whatever you they're a bit noisier but i think that's kind of cool that like even knowing that it's not the exact perfect image apple still did it you know like yeah if they can do it anybody can do it and yes of course one person with a phone in their hand could not shoot the video that looks (laughs) that high quality but like you say any professional production has gimbals, stands, lights, you know, everything set up perfectly. It's so you and you have to have the expertise to do it as well in terms of talent, right? Not just it's not just about money, it's also about knowledge. Um but clearly people do it. And I think if you say shot on iPhone, a reasonable interpretation of that is that other stuff was used as well as the iPhone, you know? Yeah. Just as in when you say like this film was shot on the Sony FX9. They're also using lights and equipment and left, right, and center and gimbals and effects and everything else at the same time. So it's a perfectly reasonable th- thing to claim. And it's just like their shot on iPhone campaign up to now, right? Like all the all the shot on iPhone photos and videos you've seen before also use additional equipment too. The um, They did that collaboration with Olivia Rodrigo a couple of weeks ago, shot yeah. on iPhone. But again, you know, they're in studio lighting, they've got equipment, they've got gimbals and stuff. But ultimately... They are shooting through the phone. And we they released a nice behind-the-scenes video about how they did it, and they showed it off, and they weren't, like, hiding the other equipment. You know, they weren't, like, no. pretending they were only using the phone and nothing else. Like, they were, they were open and honest about it. And it seemed like from the 
behind the scenes video, they didn't use like um, stick on lenses. So they didn't like cheat by just putting a massive bit of glass in front of the phone. They actually used the iPhone lenses in most cases. So I'd say it's pretty valid and yeah, go for it. The part that I was most impressed with was that the drone footage was also shot using an iPhone. They had like a drone rig where they attached the iPhone and flew it around. I expected there to be like an asterisk on all of this saying, except the drone footage was shot with X, Y, and Z. But no, they they weren't lying the entire event. Even the drone footage was shot on iPhone. Anything else for this week, Mayo? The Apple Pencil USB-C is now available. Oh, yeah. Did you get yours? Place your order. <laughs> yeah, I ordered 10 <laughs> The Apple Pencil USB-C got not one, but two press releases. And I'll tell you what, in the second press release, they explicitly describe it as a non-removable cap. Oh, really? That's They do, yeah. So they actually they actually had some information to share. <laughs> yeah. Now I can sleep at night. All right, then I think that's all for this week. You can send us feedback, happyhour at 9to5mac.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts where you can leave a rating and a review. And find an ad-free version of the show for $5 a month or $50 a year. You can find me on Threads, Twitter, Mastodon. Really nowadays, primarily Threads, at Chance H. Miller. And Mayo, what about you? At BZA Mayo, Threads, Twitter, the the rest of the places. I'm still kind of floating around. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Mayo. Bye-bye.